Right, well, hey, good morning, everybody, and uh, welcome out once again to the Medina East Campus of Grace Church as we're continuing in the fifth week uh, in this series that we've been doing, kind of a study in the book of Amos. And so I'm so, so glad that you're able to be with us. I do just want to kind of reiterate something Steve mentioned a moment ago here, and that is that if you are a guest with us here today at uh, Grace Church, if it's your first time here, we just really want to extend a real special welcome. Thanks so much for, for being part uh, of the services here today. Uh, we count it an honor that you would carve out some of your time to be with us on a Sunday morning. And hopefully, uh, like Steve mentioned, you'll get a chance to grab that gift. If you are a guest with us, we have that at the Welcome Center. That's just our way of saying thanks, and uh, we hope you feel welcome uh, while you're here. But again, if you are a guest, or even if you're a person that maybe kind of missed the past few weeks of this series, let me just real quick just kind of catch you up to speed uh, with what it is that we've been talking about as we've been going through this series um, in Amos. So, so in this series, what we're doing is we're studying just this really, really fascinating and in- incredible book uh, that's located in the Old Testament of the Bible called Amos. And we said the book of Amos is one of these books of the Bible we've been saying it's really uh, oftentimes overlooked. Uh, Many people have not read the book of Amos. Uh, In fact, there might even be some who have never heard of the book of Amos, some of us who might be here today. And if that's the case, you're actually part of the majority. Most people uh, don't know that there's a book of Amos or have never read the book of Amos. And so we said it's kind of an obscure book. It's this short little book in the Old Testament. It's only nine chapters long. And uh, it's a little bit of a challenging book. We said, man, the message of Amos is a challenging message. It can be a challenging read. And yet, uh, the reason that we're taking some time to kind of go through this, this book is we said that the book of Amos is, um, man, it is strikingly relevant to us and to the cultural kind of circumstances that we find ourselves in today. For those of us who follow Jesus, who would kind of make that proclamation, we said this book is very, very, very relevant to us. And it helps us understand a little bit of God's heart and, and how we can kind of stay attached to God's heart. And so because of that, uh, we're kind of going through this book together and, uh, and looking to see what it has to say to us. And so we're looking at Amos. And so like I said, this is the fifth week in this series. And so I want to invite you, uh, just as we get started, to once again grab your Bibles and let's go ahead and return to the book of Amos. So we're going to go to Amos. We're going to start in chapter two today. So go ahead and get your Bibles. We're going to go to Amos chapter two. And uh, you can go ahead and flip in your Bibles there. If, uh, if you brought your own Bible, go ahead and find that. If you did not bring your own Bible, that's not a problem either. We actually have some hardback Bibles that should be under the chairs. You can turn to uh, Amos 2, page 638 in those Bibles. And so go ahead and flip there, and uh, you can go ahead and borrow one of ours. Um, and then let me also just say, too, that if you don't have, like if you don't personally own a hard copy of the Bible, like a physical copy of the Bible, we would actually really love for you to have one. And so you can, you can take one of ours if you want to and make that a gift from us to you. You can write your name in it. And so uh, however you get there, Amos 2, if you are, a, you know, if you're an iPad or you're kind of a tablet person too or a, you know, a smartphone person, Steve mentioned a moment ago about our new app. And if you want to go ahead and download that, um, you can also access the Bible um, through that app. So however you get there, Amos 2, once you got it, just go ahead and put it there on your lap and we'll, we'll get to it here in a second. So um, about, uh, man, it's been over a decade now, maybe even 15 years. There's this movie that came out uh, that my guess is many of you have probably seen called Fifty First Dates. Anyone see the movie Fifty First Dates? Okay, yeah, if you've seen it before, it's uh, pretty much your standard chick flick. It's kind of a romantic comedy. And in the movie, it stars uh, Adam Sandler and uh, Drew Barrymore. And uh, like I said, it's kind of a romantic comedy, and so as far as romantic comedy goes, it kind of follows similar kind of plot line uh, as most of them. But one of the things that makes this movie really unique, if you haven't seen it, is it's the story of this woman, that's played by Drew Barrymore, who got in this accident, some type of accident, and as a result of this accident, she now suffers from short-term memory loss. 
And so basically the way the story goes is she had gotten in this accident and now she can remember everything that happened before the accident, but she has no ability to gain new memories. And so every day she wakes up, she forgets the day before. And every day she wakes up, she forgets the day before. So in, in, in her mind, the same day is happening over and over and over again. She can't gain uh, new memories. And so that's kind of the, the plot of the movie. And of course, that sets you up for the story. Because what happens is one day, Adam Sandler's character meets Drew Barrymore's character. And of course, they develop a romantic interest. And they kind of fall for each other. And they have this incredibly, you know, kind of day that's full of chemistry and all that kind of stuff. And, 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 and of course, it's all exciting. But unbeknownst to Adam Sandler's character, uh, he does not know that Drew Barrymore has this kind of short-term memory loss. And so the next day, she doesn't remember any of it. She doesn't remember any of that kind of stuff. And, and once again, that kind of sets up the story because what happens now is every day, Adam Sandler's character is trying to win the heart, trying to win the affections of Drew Barrymore's character. That's why it's called 50 First Dates because she just can't forget. So he does this in creative ways and in kind of cute ways and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and anyway, that's kind of the story. But as the story progresses, once you get to the end of the movie which, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen the movie, which I don't think you can spoil the end of a chick flick. They all end exactly <laughs> the same. But basically what happens at the end of this movie, they fall in love, they get married, they have kids, right? And, uh, and of course, uh, Drew Barrymore still has this short-term memory loss, and, and yet they somehow were able to get married and have kids and this whole thing. And I say all that because there's this scene at the end of the movie, and, and this scene is actually really stuck with me, and I'll tell you why here in a second. But there's this scene when Drew Barrymore, it's the very end of the movie, she wakes up, and of course she can't remember, she can't remember anything after the accident. So she wakes up, she thinks it's the day after the accident, and she's in what appears to be her bedroom. And so uh, she wakes up, and there's this videotape, uh, VHS tape, you guys remember those VHS tapes? And on, on the outside it says, play me. And so she pops it in the VCR, and she watches it, and here is an explanation of everything that has transpired since the accident. It explains about the accident, about her memory loss. It explains how she has fallen in love with Adam Sandler's character and how they have kids, how they have a family. And it basically, this tape it is reminding her of what is true about her. It is reminding her about who she is and about what her life truly is. And then at the end of the video, it says, so come outside of the room and your family's waiting for you. And so she walks out of her bedroom, and of course, she's not actually in her bedroom, and she's in this other setting, and there's her family that's kind of waiting for her. Now, now the reason I, I say that is because I thought about that scene, and I, actually, it kind of stuck with me, and I've thought about it a lot. And, and at one point in time, I don't remember when this happened, but it occurred to me, I remember I thought to myself, I, th I thought, man, you know what's interesting is I actually have the exact same condition that Drew Barrymore's character has spiritually. Like I have this, I have the same type of short-term memory loss where in a 24, sometimes a 24-hour period of time, I will forget about the grace and the provision and the protection and the love of God in my life. And, and I think if you're a follower of Jesus that's in this room today, and I, I know that some of you maybe are still investigating the whole Jesus thing, but for those of us who follow Christ, I think you know exactly what I'm talking about. That we are all inclined, we have this proclivity to this short-term spiritual memory loss, this um, spiritual amnesia of sorts, where one day, one day, we can find ourselves so passionate and so confident and so sure of like our faith and of God's provision in our life. And we, we, we find ourselves saying, man, God, I'm never gonna doubt you. And God, I'm, I'm always gonna trust you. And then literally 24 hours later, 
we can find ourselves in a situation that we're full of doubt and we're full of fear and we're full of anxiety and we're, we're full of questions about God's goodness. I have seen this in my life where there have been days where I've seen God come through and I thought to myself, God, I am, I am never going to question you again. You are all I need. And man, I'm never gonna forget the good things. And then like 24 hours later, I, I, I'm like looking to other things to try to fill my heart besides God. And it's a spiritual amnesia. It's this, this, this forgetfulness, this short-term memory loss. Now, the reason I bring that up, the reason I bring that up is because in this series, in the book of Amos, we said that the book of Amos reveals to us something that we've been calling the seven undercurrents of spiritual drift. And here's what we meant by that. We said that Amos is really the story about how God's people had drifted away from God. They had drifted dangerously far from the heart of God. And we said the book of Amos actually reveals to us seven reasons or seven undercurrents that this dangerous drift, this spiritual drift, can take place. And so, so far, we've talked about three of these drifts, these dangerous undercurrents of spiritual drift. And if you've been with us over the past weeks, you might remember these conversations. If you missed those, you can always go back to our website. You can watch those, listen to those, subscribe to our podcast. But today, we're going to be talking about the fourth undercurrent of spiritual drift. And this is what we're calling forgetting grace. One of the ways we can drift away from God's heart, and we can drift... um, dangerously far from where God desires us to be is that we can drift into forgetting grace. So let let me show you today where I get this from, how this shows up in the book of Amos, and let me show you why this is so dangerous. We're going to see this in Amos chapter 2. So Amos 2, we're actually going to start in verse 6. Some of this is going to be a bit of review, if you've been with us, and uh, and you'll see why, and then we'll get into some new new content as well. So verse 6, this is what the Lord says. So again, God is speaking to his people, the Israelites. It says, the Lord says, for three sins of Israel, even for four, I will not relent. They sell the innocent for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. They trample on the heads of the poor as on the dust of the ground. They deny justice to the oppressed and they lie down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge. And the houses of their God, they drink wine taken as fines. And let's just pause there for a minute. Again, if you've been with us in the series, this is a little bit of review. We've already looked at these verses and we've kind of explained what they mean. But uh, just to kind of recap for us briefly what these verses are saying, God is coming to his people, to the Israelites, and he basically is is, uh, listing a set of indictments against them. He's bringing a set of charges. And God is basically saying this to his people. He says, the problem that I have is that you are not living congruently with my heart. You're living an incongruent lifestyle from my heart. So God looks at him and he says, you're selling your own people into slavery. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. He says, you're treating people with injustice. You're not extending grace. God looks at his people and he says, you are blatantly disregarding my commandments that I've given you. The Bible's gonna tell us that that God's people started to, to practice idol worship. That is, they started to look towards other gods to try to fulfill them and to satisfy them. And so God basically comes and he says, man, you guys have drifted from me drifted from my heart. You've drifted from my grace. You've drifted. But I want you to notice what God says next, because the next verses, I believe, give us some indication to the reason that God's people have drifted. Notice what God says in verse 9. Here's what God says. Yet I destroyed the Amorites before them, though they were tall as the cedars and strong as the oaks. I destroyed their fruit above and their roots below. I brought you out of Egypt. I led you for 40 years in the wilderness to give you the land of the Amorites. Verse 11, I also raised up prophets from among you, from from your children, and Nazarites from among your youths. Is this not true, people of Israel, declares the Lord? 
But you made the Nazarites drink wine, and you commanded the prophets not to prophesy. And now what is that talking about? Let's just pause here. From, nine, from verse 9 to 12, what is God doing there? Do you, do you see what God is doing? Now, I know that if, if you're not a Bible, verse, a Bible person, verses 9 to 12, they, they might, it might look like it's full of people you've never heard of and events you maybe aren't familiar with. But you can see, what, here's what God is doing. In verse 9 to 12, what God is saying is this. He is trying to recount to his people his acts of past faithfulness, his acts of past grace and provision and protection to his people. In other words, God is saying, man, don't you guys remember all that I've done for you, all the ways that I have fought for you and I've shown grace to you. In fact, he, he lists some very specific situ, uh, situations and circumstances. Notice in verse nine, God says this. He says, I destroyed the Amorites before them, though they were tall as the cedars and as strong as the oaks. Now, what's that talking about? Well, what you might not know is that's actually referring to a very specific circumstance in the history of the Israelite people. This is actually recorded in the book of Joshua. The Bible tells us that God had promised a land to his people, to the Israelites. They called it the promised land. You maybe have heard that term before. And so God delivered that promise. The Bible says that when God brought his people into the promised land, that land was occupied by a group of people called the Amorites. The Amorites were people who had done just these terrible, I mean, just deplorable things. And yet the Bible says that they were virtually undefeatable. Militarily, they, they were just undefeatable. The Bible actually explains that these people, the Amorites, they were physically massive people, strong in fact, Numbers chapter 13, Numbers chapter 31 actually calls them giants. These people were huge. That's why in this passage it says they were as tall as the cedars and as strong as the oaks. What is God saying to them? He's saying, man, don't you remember when I fought for you? When you could not fight for yourself? Little Israel, there's no way. And in the book of Joshua, it explains how God miraculously fought for and provided for his people. And so God is reminding them of that. Notice what else he says. He, he brings up another very specific situation in verse 10. He says, I brought you out of Egypt. I led you for 40 years in the wilderness. Now, what's that talking about? Well, many of you know this. This is, again, referring to a, another very specific situation in the history of the Israelite people. The book of Exodus tells us this. If you've ever seen the movie Prince of Egypt, you, you probably are familiar with this. The, the Israelites were slaves in Egypt. They were enslaved, harshly treated and oppressed by Pharaoh and by Egypt. And the Bible says that God's people called out to God and they said, God, we're slaves. Would you deliver us? Would you set us free? And the Bible says that God saved them, pulled them out of slavery in a miraculous way. He led them into the wilderness for 40 years. He provided for them, provided food, manna from heaven, provided water, provided guidance, a pillar of smoke by day, a pillar of fire by night, the Bible's gonna tell us. And God is saying, don't you guys remember this? That, that I, I fought for you, I provided for you, I guided you, I saved you. He says this in verse 11, raised up prophets and Nazarites among you. And what's that talking about, prophets and Nazarites? Well, prophets and Nazarites um, were actually, in the Old Testament, they would have been like spiritual leaders, God would have provided them to help guide people spiritually. And so what God is saying here is he's saying, I, I provided for you everything you needed to have a healthy, vibrant relationship with me. I provided you for you, I protected you, I saved you. I've done all of these incredible, I've showed grace to you. I've, I, have, I have guided, I've done all of this, he says. And, and yet, the people have acted in a way where they had showed contempt to the grace and the provision and the protection of God. What is it that God is saying? You see what God is saying here? 
Here's what God is saying. He's saying the reason that his people have drifted so far from his heart is because they had drifted into forgetting grace. They had forgotten his grace. They had this short-term memory. They forgot about the grace. Think about it for a minute. How in the world do you get a group of people who are at one time slaves to get to a place where eventually, centuries later, they themselves are now selling their own people in slavery? How does that happen? And they've forgotten. They've forgotten where, what they were saved from. They've forgotten where they come. How in the world do you get a group of people who, who literally, physically saw God fight for them and, and watched God fight for them in a way that they could not fight for themselves to suddenly becoming an arrogant, proud people who began to take credit for all the good things that God was doing in their lives, which is exactly what's happening in the book of Amos. How does that happen? Well, they had forgotten. They had forgotten about what God had done for them. How do you get a group, get a group of people who had watched God shower grace upon grace to them. They were recipients of the amazing grace of God, now being in a place where they are failing to extend that grace to other people, treating people unjustly. How does that happen? The way it happens is they had forgotten grace. They had forgotten the good things that God had done, the grace, his provision, his protection. And now here's the thing. Some of you might be thinking to yourself, okay, well, that's kind of fascinating. You know, the Israelites back then, and, and that's that's pretty interesting history lesson. But uh, what does that have to do with me? And, and listen, here's the thing: we've been saying this every week, and I, I just I don't I don't think I can reiterate this enough. The Book of Amos is not just some ancient book that was written to some ancient people about some ancient God. The Book of Amos has been preserved because it is just as relevant to God's people today as it was to God's people back then. And the truth is, for those of us who follow Jesus in this room today, for those of us who have put our hope and our faith in God, we are just as susceptible to doing the same thing, to forgetting about God's goodness and forgetting about God's grace and drifting into this amnesia, into this short-term memory loss where we forget about the goodness of God. And see, the reason this is so detrimental, the reason this is so important that we understand this is because I believe, and I'm convinced of this, I believe that oftentimes the source of much of our anxiety, much of our fear, much of our worry, which let's be honest, some of us are coming in with a lot of that today. I believe that at the heart of much of that, I believe that at the heart of much of our struggles, the heart of much of our relationship tensions, unforgiveness and bitterness, I believe that the heart of many of these things is this. That there is a, a forgetfulness of the goodness and the grace of God in our lives. And the truth is, all of us have a proclivity and a propensity to drift in these ways. And when we drift into forgetting grace, it causes us to drift from the heart of God. And it can be a very, very dangerous place to be. So here's the question I want us to consider then for the rest of our time. And that's this. If all of us are inclined towards forgetting God's grace, if all of us are inclined towards this short-term spiritual memory, memory loss, then how in the world do we keep ourselves from drifting into this? How do we keep ourselves from forgetting God's grace? Yeah, it's interesting. I've been thinking about that question and thinking about that question for the past couple of weeks. And so it, I did a bunch of study and I went into the Bible and I, I went into some commentaries. And after looking and looking and looking and looking to the answer to that question, I actually think I came up with the answer. I think I actually have it. It's pretty profound. Not to two mount horn, but it's actually pretty profound. So you guys ready for this? I think I discovered it. This is super profound. You might want to get your pen ready, all right? How do we keep ourselves from forgetting grace? How do we keep ourselves from drifting into this spiritual amnesia where we forget the grace of God? You ready for it? Here it is. You guys ready? 
Are you ready? All right, good. Here it is. Ready? Here's how we keep ourselves from drifting into forgetting grace. We remember. It's pretty good, isn't it? Yeah. Some of you guys are like, we pay you for this. <laughs> but no, seriously, think about this. If you don't want to forget something, you should remember it. <laughs> Write that down. You guys can tweet that if you want to. That's awesome. You know, if you don't want to forget something, remember it. Signed, Captain Obvious. And you can go to, and some of you are like, that, that's not helpful at all, man. I don't know what you're talking about. So let me, let me explain myself though here, okay? I, I, I actually mean this. And, and he, here's what I mean. I thought this was so fascinating. Um, did you know that the number one most frequent commandment given in all of the Bible, Old and New Testament, number one most frequent commandment is remember. Did you know that? Over and over and over in the Bible, the Bible's gonna say, God is going to command his people, remember, remember, remember. Some, in some cases, it will say, don't forget. I, according to my count, and this is just my count, I, I, I probably missed some, but when I went through the Old Testament alone, just the Old Testament, and looked at the command to remember, it appears 117 times. 117 times. This is the most frequent commandment that is given in the Bible. Remember, 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 don't forget, don't forget, don't forget, remember. It's all over the place. Old and New Testament. Let me just give you a small snapshot. I'll give you three passages that come right out of the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 5.15, look what the Lord says. Remember, this is a commandment that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. After God delivers his people, he looks at them and he says, here's my commandment. Don't forget what I did for you. Don't forget that. Here's what he says in Deuteronomy chapter six. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large flourishing cities that you did not build. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt into the land of slavery. See what God is saying here? He's saying, hey, listen, when you get into the promised land and everything's going really good for you, which is usually the time we're, we're most inclined to forget God anyway. He says, be careful, you don't forget. Don't forget that I'm the one who saved you. And don't forget what I saved you from. Notice what he says in Deuteronomy chapter eight. You may say to yourself, my power and my strength of my hands, that's a lot of my, have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so confirms this covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. See what he's saying? He's saying, don't forget, you need to remember. Over and over again in the Bible, this is the most frequent commandment that God gives in all of scripture. Now, why in the world would this be the commandment that God gives above all other commandments? Well, I think, I think the reason's pretty obvious. The reason that God has to command us to remember so often is because every single one of us is inclined to forget to forget the grace of God. And when we forget God's grace and his goodness and his faithfulness and his providence, and when we do that, it, it, it puts us in a position where we don't see things accurately. We have a false perception of ourselves. We have a false perception of God. We have a false perception of reality. And it causes us to act in a way where we drift from the heart of God. But when we can remember when we can go back and remember God's faithfulness, remember his goodness, remember his providence, remember his, how he has saved us and all of his grace that he's given us, it aligns us to reality, allows us to see God and see ourselves and see our circumstance rightly, and it propels us to live the life that God wants us to live. 
It's interesting, I was trying to think this past week of a good illustration to try to illustrate this whole thing. And I, I, I got thinking about my neighbor. And um, me, my wife and I, when we moved here to Medina, we had this neighbor. He, he moved away about a year ago, which we were, we were really bummed to see him go. He's actually a really good friend of ours. And uh, the new neighbors we have are awesome too. But uh, this guy was, uh, we just got kind of close with him. And so he moved a year ago to North Carolina. And so whenever he comes back, into town, which he does every so often, he'll always come over and we'll have dinner together. So last time he came into town, he got all of our kids gifts from North Carolina. And so he got my, my daughter, got her like this little outfit and, uh, and you know, it's cute and all that kind of stuff. But then he got my boys. What he got my boys was he got them um, some of these. He got them each one of these, right? So yeah, a slingshot, right? Which I was like, thanks neighbor. What do you, what do you get to hyperactive, already inclined towards violent children, a weapon of destruction, right? That's what he got him, so. And, uh, but, you know, not to insult your intelligence, we all know how a slingshot works, right? We all know how this works. There's a little leather pouch on it. You put something in the leather pouch, preferably not something too hard. My boys put marshmallows in it. And the way, the way it works is the further, the further back you bring this thing, right? You guys see what I'm saying? The further back this goes, the further forward it, it will propel whatever it is that you're launching out of this. We all know how this works. But as I was thinking about this, I thought, you know, this is actually a really great illustration of why it is that I think God commands us to remember. This is why uh, a moment ago I said this. I don't know if you guys remember, but I said I believe at the source of much of our anxiety and our worry right now in our lives that some of us are facing is a result of the fact that we have forgotten God's grace and goodness in our lives. And here's what I mean by that. So I actually brought with me um, a cotton ball. I figured that'd be pretty safe, a little bit safer than a marble. <laughs> and um, so if I put this cotton ball into this slingshot, right, let's just say that you're a person right now who is um, really battling with some severe anxiety, some worry, some fear. There's a lot of different reasons that can happen. I'm not saying there's only one reason that can happen. Uh, but one of the reasons, I think one of the one of the contributing reasons to much of the anxiety and fear that we face so, uh, is that we have forgotten God's grace. So if right now you're facing a worrisome situation a bit based on your job or your financial situation or your health situation or if it's a relationship issue and you're, you find yourself full of fear and anxiety and worry about it, you can't sleep at night type of thing, I think part of the reason that might be happening is maybe that you have drifted into a spiritual forgetfulness. It's because the Bible says when we, can, when we can, for those of us who follow Christ, when we can intentionally and purposefully go back and we can remember, when I go back and I, I say, you know what, I'm gonna remember God's faithfulness to me. I'm gonna remember, I'm gonna go back to scripture and I'm gonna remember how God is faithful to his people. How when people put their hope and their trust in them, they're in situations oftentimes in the Bible where their back is against the wall and there is no perceivable way out. And yet God is over and over again, he is so faithful to fight on behalf of his people. He is so faithful. If you can go back and you can replay the tapes in your own life of the times where God has come through, where God has provided, where God has cared for you, where God was good to you, where God showed grace to you. And when you can draw your mind and you can go back and you can go back, all of a sudden what happens is when you remember what God was like, it occurs to you that you're serving the same God now because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so when I recall who God was, it reminds me who God is and it propels me into a, that's actually pretty good. 
That's the best of all the services for a cotton ball, right? And it propels me into, the Bible says, a power I do not possess in and of myself. I will have a peace that transcends understanding. Why? Because there's power in remembrance. There's power in this. I think this is why God says we are to remember, right? Or let's say, for example, right now you're facing some relational strife with someone. There's some bitterness. There's some resentment in your heart. Maybe, maybe you're having a really hard time extending grace to somebody, a coworker, a family member, a friend, and, and you're just having a difficult time. You're, you're holding on to bitterness as a result of it. And, and it's, right now, it's just it's something that's in your heart. I believe that oftentimes the source of those things is a forgetfulness. We've, for, we've forgotten God's grace and his forgiveness towards us because when I, can, when I can force myself to go back and remember, man, just remember who I was when God saved me, what he saved me from. When I can go back and I can think about, man, just the, the lengths that Jesus Christ went to to extend forgiveness and grace and mercy to me. When I can go back and I can recall his forgiveness and his initiative to love me and to extend grace to me, when I can draw on that strength, the Bible says that is going to give me a power now that I don't possess in and of myself where now I can be propelled into a love and a grace for other people. I don't have that power in myself. But when I go back and I remember what Christ has done for me, what God has done for his faithfulness in my life, I could draw on that strength. It's gonna propel me into the life that God desires for me. This is what God looks at the Israelite people and he says, here's the problem. He says, the problem is you've forgotten me. He says, you've forgotten, you've forgotten what I saved you from. The reason that you're selling other people, people of your own kind into slavery is because you forgot what you were safe from. You were a slave. And if you would remember that, that would align you rightly and it would propel you into the life that I want you to live. God says the reason that you're not extending grace to others is because you have failed to remember the grace I have poured on you, that I have lavished on you. Love the way C.S. Lewis puts it. He, I like the way he puts just about everything, but in one occasion he said this. He said, people need to be reminded more often than they need to be instructed. I thought, man, that is good. You know what we need oftentimes for those of us who follow Christ? More than we need more instructions, we need more reminders. More reminders of the grace and the goodness of God in our lives, uh, of the ways that he's provided, the ways he's come through. And uh, it's powerful stuff. And so, so because, because th this is the most frequent commandment given in scripture, remind, would be remember, remember, remember. Because that's the thing God wants us to do uh, and is commanded above all other commandments in the Bible, I thought it would only be helpful if for the rest of the time, the short time that we have left, if I could just practically speaking, maybe give to us three ways that we can remember. All right? So I just wanna give us three ways, I guess you could say three memory techniques that the Bible gives us and how we are to remember, how we're to practice remembrance. So, so here's the first one, all right? The first way the Bible's gonna tell us that we need to remember is we need to remember intentionally. All right, we need to remember intentionally. Um, I think it's important to note that whenever the Bible commands remembrance, whenever the Bible tells us to remember, it is never talking about some passive, happen chance, um, casual recollection. It is always talking about an active, intentional action. Right? The, the, the command to remember is a command. It is a command. And so the Bible is always talking about this being something that we do intentionally. 
right? That this is a, a priority to us to remember. Now, let me just show you Psalm 77. I love the language the psalmist uses here. Notice the intentionality within this language. He says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider your works and meditate on your mighty deeds. So, so do you notice, first and foremost, three times over, the psalmist says, I will I will remember, I will. This is an act of volition, intentionality here. Notice the synonyms that he uses. I'm gonna remember, remember, I'm gonna consider, I'm going to meditate. Now, these are not passive terms. What is meditate? Man, I'm gonna push my mind down on this thing. I'm gonna think hard about it. The word consider, I think, is even more fascinating. I thought this was really interesting. The word consider in the original language literally means to moan or growl to imagine. <laughs> when I first read that, I thought, those things don't have anything to do with each other, right? Moan or growl or imagine. Like, I'm like, I don't know any situation where those two things. But the more I thought about it, I thought, you know what? That actually makes sense to me. Because, it, does it make sense to you guys? Did you ever have a time in your life when you were imagining something or you were remembering something and it almost took you back in such a way that it caused you to moan? Like, not, not in a weird way, but you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that. Like you moan or you growl, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah. I don't know if anyone does that, but that's like, um, but he's like, what's he talking? I think a good example of this would be like if you asked me, if you said, hey, Tony, do you remember your wedding day? Like I could easily just spout out to you like, yeah, yeah, March 24, 2007, right? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's it, that's it. Like I could, I could say like, there's my wedding day, I, I remember that. But if you said, no, like do you remember your wedding day? I, I could consider it, I could think about it. I could replay the tapes of that day. I could remember, I, for example, I can remember vividly uh, my wife and I getting together uh, that, that morning. We actually got together for breakfast, which I know that they say you're not supposed to see the other person the day of the wedding. I don't know who makes up these rules anyway. But we're like, we're gonna see each other. The, the, so we did and we, we got um, breakfast and we prayed together. Remember that? I remember being so excited about this new life together. I remember her walking down the aisle right, how beautiful she looked and her wedding gown, the whole thing, wedding dress, awesome. I remember after the ceremony, like right before the reception in between, we were both really hungry and so we went and stopped at Taco Bell <laughs> and she was, <laughs> she was in her wedding dress and I was in my suit and I was like, this is another reason I love this girl so much. Like, it's our wedding day and she's like, I want a chalupa and a caramel ample empanada and I'm like, I love you, let's go. <laughs> And, uh, but I can, and what, what happens when I do that, when I press my mind down on that, I consider it, you know what it does? It makes me moan. It makes me go, oh, yeah, yeah. It, it re-stirs affections in my heart. It reminds me, it reminds me of the love that I have for her. And, and, and listen, I, this is what the psalmist is saying. He's saying, man, you, we need to go back that way intentionally. You push your mind down until you feel it again. Until you feel, not, not just, yeah, I remember when God saved me. Yeah, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. Think about it. Push your mind down on it until you can feel it again. And, 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 and all of a sudden, your heart gets warmed with affection again, and you're reminded of, man, that's right. God is so good, and he's so faithful, and that's gonna align me to reality, and it's gonna propel me into the life that God desires for me. I can just tell you, I've, I've personally seen the power of this in my own life. Um, 
here at the Medina East Campus, if, if you guys are newer, we've been around for five years. So we as a campus turned five in December. And it has been a wild, fun, amazing ride. Many of you have been on, on, on for the whole thing. And it's been so cool to watch God work. But I can tell you that there's been some really challenging seasons as well. That there's always been a unique set of challenges with every exciting season. And not too long ago, not in, the, not in the too distant past, there was a season we were facing as a church, a lot of exciting things, but there were some challenges, some unique challenges that we were facing that were new territory. And I remember, you know, being the campus pastor here, I remember being so full of fear, so anxious, so worried. I remember laying in bed one night and I could not sleep. I was just tossing and turning for like an hour, just like, God, I don't know what I'm gonna do. I don't know what I'm doing. I've never done this before. I, don't, I can't see a clear way forward. I don't know how we're gonna overcome the challenges that we're facing right now. And I just remember being full of anxiety and being full of worry about all of this stuff that was happening. But then somewhere in the midst of this, like after an hour of just like tossing and turning, I remembered that I needed to remember <laughs> I was like, I forgot to remember. I need to remember. And so, so I took some time. I just said, you know what? I'm just, God, I'm just gonna re- I'm going to replay the tapes. Like 51st dates, I'm gonna go back. I wanna remember what is true about you, what is true about me, how I have seen you work in my life. I'm gonna go back. And so I started to do this. And I laid in my bed, and I remember I started thinking about Scripture, the promises that God had made to his people, and how throughout history, how he's followed through on those. I started to think about my own life. I started to remember when, when he saved me. I was 17 years old when Christ entered in my life and man, it was a seismic boom. I remember what he saved me from. I, re- I remember how I, would put, how I would trust him and put my faith in him about something and I would be like, God, I don't know, I don't know. And then I would watch him fight for me. I would watch him provide. I remember times where I did not see a way forward. I did not know how it was gonna work out. And then God made a way. And man, I just remember, I was like, God, and I'm telling you, after like 15 minutes of doing this, I was getting emotional. I was tearing up because I was like, God, you are so good. And you're the same, the same God who's done this, the same God today is the same God tomorrow. And man, I'm just telling you, after that, did my circumstance change? Well, not immediately, but my perspective did. My heart did, and my faith did. And it allowed me to move forward, I believe, in the way that God wanted me to move forward because I was like, God, am I still scared? Yeah, I'm still scared. I'm still scared. To this day, I'm scared. But God, we've been scared before. I have been scared before. And I know when I put my hope in you and my trust, I watch you do what only you can do. The power of this. So how do we remember? We do it intentionally. We have to carve out space. We have to make margin in our lives to allow us to, to intentionally go back and remember. This is not some passive, casual thing that if I just so happen to remember, then that, no, 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 no. It's a command. It's a remember. This is in part why um, here at Medina East Campus, we really encourage everyone. We talk about this a lot. Getting daily time with God is so important. To, to get into the Bible, to read about God's past faithfulness, to reflect and to pray, to spend that time. Why is that so important? Because we forget. We forget. Every day we forget. And uh, we have to be intentional. Here, here's the second way we remember. second way we remember is we remember tangibly. Practically speaking, how do we remember um, God's grace to us? We do it tangibly. Some of you are like, what, are, what does that mean? Well, let me explain. I think this is really interesting. That in the Bible, 
God does not simply just command his people to remember, which is the most frequent commandment in the Bible. Oftentimes, God will tie a physical, outward, tangible action to this idea of remembrance. And so a couple examples would be uh, Jesus himself uh, with his disciples at the, at the Last Supper. He gave communion and he said, I want you to take this bread and take this cup and I want you to do this in remembrance of me. And so every time we take the bread and the cup, we take communion, what is that? It is a physical, tangible reminder of the sacrifice of the shed blood and the broken body of Christ. It reminds us, it brings us back to what he's done for us. Um, this is why in the Old Testament, I think one of the best examples of this, in the Old Testament, there's this story in 1 Samuel 15, I think it is, of um, this time in, in, in the history of the Israelite people where there was like a spiritual revival and God's people returned to God and God fought for them in a really powerful way. And so what, what, what this guy named Samuel, Samuel was like the spiritual leader, what he did was he, he decided to put together this pillar of stone. So he built this pillar of stone. He called it an Ebenezer. Some of you maybe even heard that term before, Ebenezer. We actually sing about it sometimes here at church. I don't know if you guys have ever heard that. It's like, here we raise our Ebenezer. And some of you might be thinking, what in the world is that? Isn't that like that crotchety dude from like a Christmas carol? Like that would have been. And, uh, and yes, that is true. But Ebenezer is also in the Bible. It literally means stones of help. And, and what, what are the stones helping you do? <laughs> Remember, that's what they're helping you do. And so Samuel says, every time you walk past this pillar, it's a reminder to you. It is a physical, tangible reminder to you of what God has done. So every time you walk past that thing and you're with your kids and your kids are like, mommy, daddy, what's that stone thing for? You're like, oh, that's an Ebenezer. What's an Ebenezer? An Ebenezer is about that time God did that awesome thing. It's a physical, tangible reminder of what God has done, right? Um, I, I always thought it was so cool that God has asked us to tie tangible things to this act of remembrance because I feel like God just knows us so well. He knows this is how we work, right? I was thinking about this and one of the things that I do often um, is I will, I will pack a lunch uh, and then I'll, I will forget it and leave. This happens only like every day. And so I'll pack a lunch and then I'll put it in the refrigerator for the next day and then I'll leave. And so I realized I keep forgetting my lunch. I keep, and so I realized I need an Ebenezer. I need a tangible reminder that's going to remind me to get my lunch. And so now what I do is I grab my car keys and I'll put my car keys in my lunch bag in my refrigerator and then in the morning, when I wake up and I go out to the, I, I'm like, where's my keys? I need to, to leave. And I'm like, oh, that's right, Ebenezer. And I'll go to my, to, my, to my refrigerator and get my lunch and grab my keys and I'll, I'll take off. And what is that? It is a tangible memory technique to, to force me to remember. So I do this intentionally. So, so the question is, what does a modern day Ebenezer look like? It can look like a lot of things, right? Uh, for some of us, maybe it looks as simple as writing a very pertinent verse on a note card and putting that on the dashboard of our car so that we see it. Like if you struggle with road rage, maybe, maybe you want to write down James 1.20, right? Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Let's put it right there. I may or may not know that verse by heart because that may or may not be my struggle, right? No comment. And maybe you do something like that. Maybe you take a dry erase marker and you write, a verse on, on, a pertinent verse on your, your mirror, the first thing you see in the morning, that's your Ebenezer, it reminds you. Maybe if God has done something awesome in your family or in your marriage or in your life, maybe you actually physically create something or buy something and you display that in your house so that when your family sees it, that's a reminder to us. That's that one time God did that awesome thing and we're never gonna forget it, that's why that's there. 
Do you guys know that this church, we have an Ebenezer? Do you guys know that? Some of you guys participated in this. Uh, when we first moved into this building, we said, you know what's gonna happen is we're gonna get in here and we're gonna be comfortable. And we said, we need, because before we were not comfortable. And so we said, we're gonna get comfortable. We're gonna come. We said, we need to fight the, the proclivity to be an inward focused church. And so we said, we're gonna get out these stones. We're gonna write, we're gonna write down prayers for our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers because we need to remember that we exist for the world. The church exists for the world for those who need to know Christ. And so we took those stones and when you walk out these doors, immediately on the left, there's a bench. A bench that's full of rocks. That's an Ebenezer. That is a reminder to us, this is why we exist. God has been faithful to us. It's a reminder of why we're here. It's an Ebenezer. And so what does it look like for you? What does it look like for you? It's a tangible thing, tangible. Here, here's the last one, and real quick. The Bible says that we remember corporately. We remember corporately. Um, the commandment of remembrance is not a solo sport. It is a team thing that we do together. God says we are a community that is to help each other remember. Uh, Hebrews chapter three, the author says, encourage one another, listen to this, daily, as long as it's called today so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfuls of sin. The Bible says that we need to replay the tapes of God's faithfulness and his goodness in our life every single day. We need to help each other do that. We need to remind each other of his faithfulness and goodness in our lives, his grace. And this is why we do things like life group. This is why we do things like meet every weekend here. Why do we meet every week as a church? Why is that a thing? Because we forget. <laughs> we need to come back and remind ourselves every single week of the grace of God. Because the truth is, when Monday rolls around, tomorrow morning, I think for many of us, we'll find ourselves back in that same spot. We forget, and we need to replay the tapes and replay the tapes of God's goodness and God's faithfulness. When we remember God's goodness, remember his grace, remember his faithfulness, it helps us to see reality correctly and it propels us into the life that he wants us to live. When we forget his grace, we drift. We drift from God's heart and where God wants us to be. I'm ask the band to come up and as they do, I, um, I just wanna take a couple of minutes. We're gonna have some time here to sing some songs. And the reason we do this, the reason that we sing and we worship like this is we sing songs of remembrance. Every week we, we, we remind ourselves of the grace and the goodness of God in our lives. And we do that by looking at his word, by encouraging each other and singing these songs together. And so we actually have an opportunity to do that. So I would encourage you, even as we have a chance to do that today, sing out with all of your heart out of remembrance for the things that God has done. But I also would ask you that maybe as we worship and sing, maybe that you would pray and think through it. Just a couple of questions. I just have two questions in light of our conversation today that maybe you can talk to God about in this time and this space that we have. Here's the first one. Question number one. For those of us who follow Jesus, how does God's past faithfulness speak to your current circumstances, anxiety, struggles, and fears? Okay, so I want you just to think about it. For some of us, we're coming in today with, some, with, with worry, with anxiety, with fear. And the question is just this, how does God's past faithfulness inform and speak to the current circumstance you're in right now? Is it possible that maybe what's happened is you've forgotten and that if you can go back and you can recall his faithfulness and goodness to you, you'll remember who God is because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. In the circumstance you're in right now, that same God is with you. Um, maybe for you and your struggles, maybe you're, you're, you're struggling to extend grace to somebody. There's difficult bitterness, relational strife that you're facing. Is it possible that the heart of that is that you have forgotten about God's grace for you, to you? 
And maybe, maybe you just need to go back and replay the tapes of his incredible sacrifice, of his incredible grace. And when you do that, it'll propel you to, to, to have a power to show grace and forgiveness in ways that you don't have a power in and of yourself to show. The second question. What are some ways in light of today's conversation that you can intentionally, tangibly, and corporately engage in remembrance? Right? How can you do that? Is there anything you can do going out of here that the message doesn't just fall on our ears, but it works itself into practice? Is there ways that we can intentionally remember? For some of us, maybe it means we need to get plugged into biblical community, get into a life group, we need to get connected to other people. Right? Maybe for some of us, we need to have a regular time that we can remember God to create bandwidth and space. Maybe you need to raise an Ebenezer somewhere in your life. Maybe even today, maybe it's as simple as this. Maybe today, because it's so nice outside, maybe you just decide, today I'm gonna take a walk. And the whole point is that this is going to be a walk to remember. <laughs> this is almost a chick flick Sunday today. And uh, I'm just gonna remember God's grace and remember his good. And I just tell you, you go for that walk and you remember the goodness of God, you do that, you just watch how it changes your perspective. You just watch, your circumstances might not change in front of you immediately, but you watch how it aligns your heart to God's heart. It's a powerful thing. So as we worship and pray, would you, would you think, would you consider some of the things that we talked about here today? Let's pray. Yeah, God, it's, um, it's always such a good reminder to come to your word and to come together to recall and to go back and to think about your grace, to think about your mercy, to think about your goodness. It's kind of, I think it's kind of a funny thing that we have to be commanded to remember, uh, but I think it's a really, tes it's a testimony to this spiritual amnesia, to this forgetfulness of grace that we can drift into. And so, Scott, I pray that you'd even help us this morning to practice this, to practice remembrance in our own hearts and our own lives, God. Help us to do this intentionally, to do it tangibly. Help us to do this corporately together, Father, and um, we're just so prone to forgetting, God. We're prone to running to other things to satisfy us that aren't worthy to do so. And so I pray you'd forgive us for that, God, and help us to, to, to just remember how awesome you are and your goodness and your faithfulness and your kindness and your grace to us in our lives. And I pray that as we dwell on that, that it would cause us to uh, have a strength in faith today, to move forward with confidence, because your past faithfulness secures a future confidence. You're the same, you're the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. The same God who, who, who led his people out of Egypt is the same God we're dealing with today in this room. And so Father, I pray that you'd help us align our hearts to the unchanging God. And I pray, Jesus, that you would help us to not only hear this message with our ears, but also to allow it work itself into our lives. And we just wanna ask these things in Christ's name, amen.